If we please turn your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We're continuing our nightly series going through the book of Proverbs, and we are in chapter 5 this evening. That's found on page 540 in the Pew Bible. And we're going to be looking at the entire chapter, and we'll look a little bit at chapter 7 as well. Again, this is found on page 540. And this is really a continuation of what we looked at two weeks ago when we were looking at the, the father's instruction to his son. And if you remember last time, we saw the importance of a father's instruction. And we saw the father's warning to stay away from the wicked because the wicked will draw the son in, will draw the son into their evil practices. And what we saw is the attractiveness of evil. And the attractiveness of evil is deceptive. See, evil will always seem harmless. It will always seem exciting. There will be a, a false sense that we're in control when we're indulging in wicked practices. A false sense that we can, we can stop anytime we want. That no real harm will come from, from an innocent indulgence. And the Father's wise instruction is that nothing could be further from the truth. Sin is always destructive. Sin is always enslaving. And nothing illustrates this principle better than sexual sin that we see in today's passage. It's addicting. It's, it's enslaving. And it always gets out of control. And it always causes massive destruction. And this is what we see in these instructions given in this chapter from this father to the son. So Proverbs chapter 5. You know the word of the Lord. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan and your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And Lord, we do pray for your spirit to be with us. I pray for your spirit to be with me, that I will speak your truth. And Father, I pray that we will hear from you. You will instruct us just as the Father instructed the children. 
And Lord, I pray that you will be pleased, you will be glorified. We will pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of years ago, a church did a clever short film, and I think it was called The Glasses. And the story was of a man received this magical pair of glasses. And when he put the glasses on, he was able to see all the burdens and all the struggles of the people around him. Suddenly, he, he, he saw people in a completely different light. See, all those people who seemed so happy, who seemed so normal, he realized that all of them, all of them were in pain. All of them were dealing with very difficult emotional issues. He would put the glasses on. He'd look at one person and see, they just lost their job. Another person was dealing with cancer. Another person was having a failing marriage. Another person was feeling feelings of, of worthlessness. Another person was contemplating suicide. And the man was, was overwhelmed. He had to take these glasses off. He didn't want to look through them anymore. He, he didn't want to, to, to take on the pain uh, that they were experiencing. And I think the point of, of this short film was to help us realize that things are not always the way they seem. See, we think people have it all together, but often that's, that's not the case. And the purpose, I think, is to encourage us to have compassion on those around us because we do not know the trials and the burdens that they are going through. And the glasses allow this man to see reality more fully. Well, sometimes I wish we had a different kind of glasses. These glasses would also help us see reality more fully. But these glasses would show us the hidden consequences behind those things that seem so attractive to us, so exciting to us. So, for example, if, if a mouse had these glasses, the mouse would see the, the bone-crushing snap of that trap that's just right behind that, that juicy piece of cheese that he's looking at. Or a fish, if a fish had these glasses, they would see that, that deadly hook that's embedded behind that scrumptious worm that he's about to bite into. And if we had these glasses, I think we would see, you know, the, the enticing get-rich-quick pyramid scheme that, that is so tempting to us that really all it's going to do is make the people who are selling it to us rich and leave us with overpriced po- products and, and family and friends who will not answer our calls for fear that we're trying to sell something to them. And I think if we had these glasses, we would feel the, the nausea, we would feel the, the pounding headache of the hangover when contemplating a night of drinking. Or we would see the, the lung cancer x-ray when enjoying a box of cigars. My friends, this chapter that we're looking at in chapter 7 in Proverbs, this is the set of glasses for when contemplating sexual sin. And verse 3 shows us the deception. It says, For the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. So the lips of the forbidden woman or the forbidden man or the forbidden relationship is seductive. It seems so sweet. It seems so right. Her her speech is smoother than oil. But it's all an illusion. It's all a trap. See, the the, the honey-sweet lips and the oil-smooth talk are just a cheese in the mousetrap. They're designed to to draw in. They're designed to kill. In verse 3, is what we see with our eyes. But verses 4 and 5 reveal the hidden consequences that are behind this, that are, are, are often behind, we're, I'm sorry, we're often blind to. It says, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. 
See, what seems so sweet was in fact very bitter. Her smooth voice that promises joy and and vibrant ecstasy, in reality, leads to pain, leads to death. And chapter 7 of Proverbs describes in great detail, gives 21 verses, the seduction of the prostitute, the seduction of of the adulteress as she seduces the young fool. And then in verses 22 and 23, she springs the trap. Just take a look over at at Proverbs chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. It says, All at once he follows her, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And chapter 7 gives a, a vivid description of this sexual sin. But it also provides the, the spiritual lenses to show us the consequences of the action. It doesn't, it doesn't paint it in a, in a picture that's just seductive and leave it there. So back in chapter 5, let's look at verses 7 through 14. It says, And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength. And your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. And what these verses are is they're meant to, to, to shake the hearers back to reality. They're meant to show just how much is on the line. How much is at stake? It's the, the, how much can be lost for the sake of, of a momentary indulgence in a sinful pleasure? And the person falling for the temptation of, of sexual sin thinks he can contain it. He sees it just as a diversion, uh, maybe even a break from real life, not realizing this diversion will actually destroy all that he sees as real. Verse 9 shows the consequence of this deception. It says that your honor is given to others and your years are given to the merciless. In verse 10, it says your strength goes to to benefiting strangers. Your labors do not benefit you, but go go to foreigners. Verse 11 seems to indicate that that even your health and your very life can be taken away. And this, this actually may be an allusion to the, to the devastating effects of sexually transmitted diseases. Words such as groaning and flesh and body consumed. And verses 12 through 14 indicate the regret associated with falling for these foolish temptations. We kick ourselves that we hated discipline and we despised reproof. That we would not listen to the voices of teachers and instruction. We, we finally see it when it's too late. When that these desires brought us to the brink of utter ruin. And it's important for us to understand that sexuality itself is not what's bad. Sexuality is a gift created by God. It's good and proper when used as God intended it to be. The problem is when this good use is distorted, when it's perverted, when it's used contrary to the way that God has instructed. And that's when it can be so destructive. And the instructions given in the next five verses show the proper use of sexuality. The author, the author doesn't just give negative. He doesn't just tell us what not to do, but he also gives the positive. 
And the answer that the Bible gives to sexual sin is, is not to be a monk, is not to simply flee, but it gives the proper context for sexuality. Sexuality, when used in its proper context, actually provides the safeguard against its proper use. So take a look at verses 15 through 20. It says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the street? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? See, these verses unambiguously and maybe even a little too bluntly instruct the proper use of of sexuality, the proper context to satisfy these temptations. And that is within the confines of a lifelong covenant marriage between one man and one woman. That's it. Verse 15 instructs to drink water from your own cistern and water from your own well. This is a metaphor for the marriage relationship. Verse 16 and verse 17 speak to the exclusive nature of the marriage relationship, where the uh, adulteress is not to enter into this relationship. You see, as Christians, we are called to be generous. We are called to share our resources that we have, share our wealth. But the marriage relation is not one of those things that we are to share. Marriage is to be an exclusive, lifelong commitment. Verse 18 highlights the lifelong nature of this commitment. It speaks of the wife of your youth. Nowhere is there the idea that that after a few years you can trade in your wife for a newer model. Marriage is a lifelong commitment. Verses 19 and 20 make it clear that sexual enjoyment comes in marriage, not outside. He says to be intoxicated by her love, that is the love of your wife, not with the prostitute, not with the adulteress. And the last thing I want us to consider with respect to sexual sin is though, although it seems private, it seems personal. It seems like something only affecting the horizontal level. You Maybe your relationship with your spouse or, or a few other people. The reality is sexual sin, just like all sin, is primarily against God. And we see this reminder in verse 21. It says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. See, what we do in private greatly affects our relationship with the Lord. And sexual sin, what it does, it breaks our intimacy, not only with our spouse, but also with God. It will become a barrier to our prayers. It will cut us off from the sweet fellowship we have with the Lord. As we just confessed a few moments ago, King David recognized this fact as as he confessed in Psalm 51. He said, against you, you only have I sinned. And this is the biggest danger, I think, in sexual sin. Sexual sin destroys marriages. It will destroy careers. It can destroy health. It can even take away our very lives. And as tragic as all this is, this is not the most dangerous part of sexual sin. The biggest danger is unrepentant sexual sin becomes a barrier to receiving God's grace. What it does is it can dull us to hearing God's voice and coming to him by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it can keep us from receiving the eternal life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to close with these sobering words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says, Do not be deceived. 
neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And the word translated here as sexually immoral, as I've mentioned many times from this pulpit, is the word porneia. And what it refers to is any sexual activity outside of a one-man, one-woman marriage. Anything else. And sadly, sexual sin has, has such a power, has such a hypnotic power, that we would choose it over eternal salvation itself. But thankfully, Paul's words don't, don't end there. The very next verse in 1 Corinthians passage says, And such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. See, the solution to the bondage to sexual sin is the same as the solution to the bondage to any sin. It is the gospel. It is repentance of sin. It is the turning away from sin and turning to Christ. It is the recognition that all sin, all sin must be laid at the foot of the cross and that we must cling to Christ. He must become more important to us than any sin. And it is then and only then that we will be free from sin's bondage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the cross. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that although there are many temptations to sin, we have a rescuer. We have a hope. And Father, I pray for each one of us here, Lord. I pray that we will be resting in that hope, the hope of Jesus Christ and the gospel. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.